Hello, and welcome to some Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're joined by special guest Charles. Charles, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, uh, I'm a friend of Buddy and Mango's. Uh, went to college with them and uh, played a lot of video games with them. And uh, now I like to talk about D&D with them. Yeah, um, and just to be clear, this is a this is Charles Pow, different than Charles Duick, who was on a different cast. Uh, this is a thing that I forgot. In the pre-roll, um, but, but, uh, but, uh, long-time uh, listeners, yeah, long-time <laughs> listeners, not be confused. Um, but yeah, today we're going to talk a little bit about Fifth Edition. But before we do that, buddy, why don't you tell the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast? Well, it's pretty simple because on this podcast uh, we like to talk about games. Um, so we're talking about Fifth Edition. Charles plays a lot of Fifth Edition, right? Mango plays a respectable yeah. amount of 5th edition. Uh, and I have literally only played 5th edition once, and that was at Gen Con, and I talked a little bit about that. Um, so it's so I'm, I'm, I'm interested to kind of probe some of, the, uh, some of the opinions, some of the differences, what are some strengths, what are some weaknesses um, from the two of you about your experience with 5th edition. Sell me, you know, like sell me on 5th uh, on edition. Um, but I guess my first question is kind of like, um, like, Charles, you can go first. Um, how would you kind of summarize 5th edition in a relative environment to something like Starfinder that we've played together or Pathfinder that we've played together sort of thing, right? Like, in terms of the big name, big big systems, how does 5th edition stack up to those experiences? And, and before you jump into that, just real quick, how much Pathfinder experience do you have? Because that's significantly less than, than Buddy and I, correct? Pathfinder experience-wise, I have practically zero, but if you count Starfinder, I've played for, how long has it been, buddy? Maybe like uh, yeah, three months? months? No, actually, yeah. probably longer than that, because Gen Con finished in August, August so we and probably we started, started like mid-September, maybe, so yeah, about about three months, so three months or four months of Starfinder. Yeah. So right. yeah, basically I know those two systems and the other systems that we played at Gen Con, um, but those aren't quite the same thing as, as D&D systems. But yeah, um, so how do you feel, feel 5th edition stacks up? Uh, so I would say that I feel like 5th edition is more easily jumped into. Like the, the barrier for entry is a bit smaller okay. since the numbers are more... Uh, there are fewer numbers, for one. There are like, a lot of skills that you have in Starfinder that are more particular are kind of boiled down into uh, fewer skills in 5e. And like you don't have these crazy high like stat additions so like you're you're to hit like in starfinder right now i have a plus 12 like you don't really get that in 5e so you know the you get the higher highs and the lower lows in starfinder actually no everything is just higher high whereas in DD, everything is kind of tailored towards you know the d20 and roughly that value that you see on the die um yeah so i would actually say that lower lows is actually accurate because the skills you don't put points in are actually comparatively worse and the dcs reflect that right the dcs are higher in pathfinder because numbers get higher so not putting numbers in it make it much harder to do something you're not good at in pathfinder um and starfinder um kind of i just want to echo some of the things that that that, uh charles said I, i definitely think it's a much easier system to get into um the thing that uh i feel like D &D has less of um and this isn't as present in starfinder because it's been out less time but like there's just so many myriad character options in Pathfinder, which, if you want that, is a real strength of that system. Um, and so, um, while I think a lot of the core kind of fantasies and archetypes are really well covered in 5e, I don't think they are covered to, like, kind of the extent and to, like, the, the depths that Pathfinder does because, kind of, you know, 
Paizo makes all of its money off of Pathfinder, so it keeps printing Pathfinder. Um, Wizards of the Coast doesn't need to, you know, flood yeah, they, the market. They got plenty. They got magic making uh, plenty of money for them. They don't are there? But like, are there are there additional source books? Like, there is the the player's handbook, obviously. But are there other books that are coming out that are, you know, different character options, stuff like that? Uh, um, uh, so, so they release free stuff online. It's called Unearthed Arcana, and then they very okay. recently released uh, Xanathar's Guide. Guide to Everything, which is mostly a collection of those things with some revisions in it. Okay. Um, and then, and that's true also of the Monster Manual that they release, right? Like, it's an in-lore, um, like, kind of a Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them sort of uh, Monster Manual rather than, like, a, uh, you know, like, the, the fancy term for this would be, like, non-diegetic um, kind of Monster Manuals that we see in Pathfinder, which are just, here's a big old collection of monsters or whatever, mm, right? It's it's yeah. someone's guide to some things and all the entries in there, I mean, they have sap blocks and everything, but all the entries in there are written from the perspective of whatever that guy's name is. Is that true? Volo's oh. guide? Yeah, uh, yeah I want to say. I, I feel like most, at least for Xanathar, because I haven't looked at Volo's too closely, um, it's mostly like your normal monster manual, and then every once in a while there's like a bubble on a page with Xanathar's like oh, okay. quippy quip. Okay. Um, yeah, because I remember I remember looking at uh, like whatever Volo's Guide to Monsters, whatever it's called, um, and people were talking about it in that kind of context, like you know that they had chosen to go with something that is you know hypothetically like in universe, if that makes sense. But uh, but yeah, um, I'm I'm curious, Charles, what what characters ha have you played? Because I've only ever played a dwarf warlock. Uh, ah, okay. Uh, character wise, uh, I have. My first character I played in Homebrew with my roommate. Uh, so my roommate watches a lot of Critical Role. I have yet to get really into that, but I know enough about yeah, characters who just kind of being, uh, you know, in proximity to him. Um, so he got really excited about D&D. He asked me if I wanted to do it, and I had always been curious about it. And I knew that you and uh, Buddy had played a lot, so I was, you know, curious to, to try it. Um, so I played with a couple of friends uh, that I knew from high school, and... Uh, they didn't really get nearly as into it as I did. But the first character that I made, I don't know why I gave you that super long tangent. I could have just specifically stated what I played. But uh, the first character I ever had was a dragonborn uh, Eldritch Knight. And for Buddy, who may or may not know this, Eldritch Knight is a fighter who also picks up a little bit of wizard class abilities. Is it, so, is it its own class or is it like a subclass kind of It is like... a subclass of fighter. Okay. Uh, so fighter is the main class. There is no like straight up, you are a fighter Though there is a champion. But anyways, the point is that the fighter is the main class and there are always subclasses underneath. Yeah, and yeah. so that particular subclass is Eldritch Knight. And I think the main thing that appealed to me is the gishy nature. Because I thought it would be boring to play a straight fighter and it would be not fun to be a straight caster because I don't like being a little bitch in the back shooting spells forever. Uh, <laughs> so, so I was like, what's a good combination? So Eldritch Knight appealed to me because I was able, you can, you're able to frontline and also cast spells but not be great at either. Mm -hmm. Still be pretty decent at both. Um, so that was the first character I made. And the second character I made, uh, I don't know how much, this is probably unnecessary backstory. The second character that I made was a druid. I really enjoyed the similar gish style because there's a class in here called a moon druid where you can like shape shift into really strong animals and you can frontline in addition to casting spells. Um, and I'm just going to gloss over the last two that I play. Is uh, another dragonborn. A revamp of the first one because that homebrew group died out. Um, so I gave him the same exact name, but made him more evil. And kind of a remix. A, warlock. a remix, absolutely. So the other <coughs> one was good, and this one's just pure evil. It's awesome. It's so much more fun to play evil characters. It's I feel warlock. That. And then the last character is a barbarian for a homebrew team because 
that is when uh, I was the last person to pick a character for the homebrew team, and I was looking overall what the team was composed of, and I was like, there's no tank specifically, and there's no one who uses strength, and there's no one who uses dex, so let's go barb. I specifically picked a character based on fitting the team. So when you say homebrew, do you mean like home run, or do you mean like there's like a significant are, are, amount of rules yeah, changes? <clears throat> yeah. Oh, so sorry. is it like guess, a custom campaign home... setting? Is a custom campaign setting. I guess I will smoke this spoke a little bit, uh, but he does have some homebrew things that you know he's yeah. I guess it's okay. He doesn't change the rules too much. Gotcha, gotcha. Sure. Yeah. So home um, run. And, and and the other ones would be for Adventurers League then. Everything else is, yeah, for Adventure. And Adventures League is like Pathfinder Society, uh, yes. but for, for D&D 5e. Okay, cool. So that makes a lot of sense. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about classes and subclasses, right? So you mentioned Eldritch Knight. Eldritch Knight is a subclass of fighter, right? Um, also, just for kind of solidarity, Mango, so what are the what are the classes, subclasses that, you, that you've played? Just that so it's, Yeah, so it's a dwarf warlock. It was, he's a Pact of the Tome warlock. I assume I assume your, your Dragonborn's a Pact of the Blade if you were going for that kind yes, of like... Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, I, mine's still pretty hitty, but it's, 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 it's actually something I really appreciate about the game is that, like, um, Dwarf gives you, like, a lot of proficiencies, um, so you can kind of, like, edge your way into being, like, half martial by just picking Dwarf, um, uh, but yeah, um, and they're not, they, they call them something different for each class, they're called, like, either paths or, like, packs or circle, mm -hmm. um, but... They effectively function as subclasses, yeah. So I've only ever played Pact of the Tome Warlock, although I have read everything else because that's the type of guy I am. Okay, um. so how, how do you feel about how do you feel about this kind of subclass uh, class distinction that comes into uh, you know like that that goes into the game, right? Does it feel like archetypes, like on a you know like in in the sense of this is something I'm choosing in order to kind of customize myself in the way that I'm going to play in a pretty significant way? Um, yes. Is it something a little bit smaller than that? I mean, I think a uh, like maybe maybe I could make the argument that for instance, um, like a drone mechanic versus an AI mechanic would be a subclass in Starfinder. Yeah, so they're definitely very close to archetypes um, in Pathfinder. Um, they change significant things about the class, although it kind of varies class to class. Some of them have yeah. less changes, right? Like the, the druid, Absolutely. you get access to, to more shape-shifting, right? But not yep. like, but the, the other ones still get shape-shifting. The other one's just mm -hmm. better at spellcasting a bit. But like um, Eldritch Knight and uh, Arcane Trickster get access to magic, um, which the class, the, the, the rogue and the fighter class just normally don't get. Um, and, uh, and so the, and like a, uh, Fighter, like the, 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 I forget what the name of it is, but the, one of the other subclasses for fighter gets like access to maneuvers. Oh, the, the commander, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's pretty battle cool. Battlemaster. Yeah, yeah. Battlemaster, there we go. Yeah, yeah. Well, one of the other people at my table is playing a Battlemaster. Maneuvers really... in the sense of, uh, like Book of Nine Swords maneuvers or maneuvers in the sense of Fourth Edition Warlord maneuvers? Uh, maneuvers in the sense of like trip and bull rush. And, oh, yeah. oh, 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 okay. I gotcha, gotcha, yeah. gotcha. Um, because those, those aren't, like, universal mechanics so much. Um, or if they are, it's kind of, like, hand-waved and, like, GM-fiated rather than being, like, hard-ruled. Do they have the base 11 classes? Um, obviously, I guess Warlock is not part of the base 11, but I haven't heard you talk about, like, Monk, for instance. Is that in there? Monk Paladin, is a Ranger? thing. Sorcerer, uh, Paladin, Ranger, Fighter, Rogue, uh, Barbarian, Bar Cleric. 
think Bard. Oh, Bard, yes. And I think that's it. Those are the main base classes. So it sounds like there are 12 classes, 11 of the base oh, classes from Pathfinder, and, and then that. Warlock on top of that? Is that correct? Let's 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 just... Let's look uh, it up. Yeah. Five. Have, the, have other classes been released, or are these all in the PHB? They're all uh, in the these PHB. are all in the PHB. There is an alchemist in an unearthed arcana, but has not been canonized yet. Oh, okay. Uh, so the full list is Barbarian, Bard, Cleric, Druid, Fighter, Monk, Paladin, Ranger, Rogue, Sorcerer, Warlock, Wizard. So, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, um, and then what? What is the what is the difference between warlock, wizard, and sorcerer uh, in in this setting? So warlock is um, sorcerer and wizard are pretty much like they always were. Warlock um, cat like has like this demonic aspect. He doesn't have access to as many spells, but he recharges them easier. Okay. Um, and he also his his basic big difference is he either chooses either um, more spell casting, more martial prowess. Um, or a familiar, um, and he's, he's always kind of at like a, a, a half, uh, I wouldn't say like half, like, I wouldn't say quite half martial, but like he's in like a martially, like a, a, a half caster, caster space. Yeah. Well, yeah, because he has some martial prowess, but also, uh, their, their main cantrip, which is like a spell that's for free, uh, is Eldritch Blast. So, like, you can use that pretty much the whole time, and you're always going to have good damage output with it from level 1 to level 20. Right. Which yeah. is kind of a nice thing. Yes. I do not use Eldritch Blast, which is why I forgot about that. Um, why, uh, why don't you Why don't you use Eldritch Blast? Because I'm a dwarf that uses a hammer, and I like that that, that better, basically. Oh, okay. So you get but, in melee and fuck kids up? Yeah. It, it, yeah. It, is a, it is a thing that is not normal for warlocks. Like, most warlocks do go, like, the Eldritch Blast kind of build unless they're going packed to the blade um right. uh and there's like a bunch of class features that enhance your eldritch blast if you want it um but i go with uh a hammer and a throwing axe um and there are still 20 levels like in pathfinder right yes but yes. the power differential between level 20 and level one is much smaller much smaller uh, yeah i guess um, i can't make that comparison <laughs> so so it, well it's like what you said right the numbers don't get as big right um so there's much there is much less difference between a a, uh, a level twenty and a level one, uh, at least in like rolling numbers. The the uh, HP yes, still scales but, up, but and the abilities that you get change drastically. Is the other thing. How do, the, how do, how do they change? Like what so what is you, the what is the benefit of leveling up if you're not getting just flat numbers? So the the main thing that I like to talk about the main biggest thing is the keystone. So the keystone is what you get at the twentieth level. You know the main skill of that class, and it's usually right. something really super powered. And so the most broken yeah, in Pathfinder, one all of the of, keystones are super broken. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well then, I, well, the, the, I just want to talk about this one because I absolutely love it. it. The Druid one. If you go, uh, there's there's two circles for the Druid in, in the PHB. Um, one of them is just be more spellcasty. The other is to be more shapeshifty. Um, and the shapeshifty one, uh, you get access to stronger shapeshifting forms. You can actually turn into an elemental at level ten, which is really fucking cool. And when you get to level twenty. The keystone is that you can shapeshift literally every turn. Wait, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Uh, so is there a keystone at level 10 and a keystone at level 20? Only at level 20, but I just wanted to note that oh, you okay. can turn into an elemental literally every turn. So if you, like an elemental has like 100 plus health, if you get knocked out of it, or even if you don't get knocked out of it, you can move out of the shape and then immediately turn back into it, or I think the next turn. Okay, okay so um, some, something to highlight here, because uh, I don't think anybody's aware of the mechanic, is when you shapeshift in 5e, you put that creature's health on top of your own health pool, and then when that health pool deteriorates, you pop out as yourself with your health pool still intact. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, it's pretty amazing. 
which is different than than Pathfinder, but it actually works really well. It's it's really cool. We've we've got a, a shape shifting druid and no, that actually sounds pretty too. awesome. To be honest, that sounds pretty 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 freaking cool. Uh, this, by the way. When you say that, it is not like you are assuming a monster manual monster, right? But oh no, are, you are. You, you are. are. Yeah, you yeah. go through the monster manual and you pick any beast. It has to be a Jesus beast, Christ. But you can pick pretty much anything. And you the, get yes. and you get its health total on top of yours. Yes. How is that not incredible? Well, because broken. you're limited the, by the, CR the challenge you, rating yeah. of the. Oh, okay. 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 Yeah. Um. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, otherwise you just pick, like, the strongest shit in the book. Yeah, I know, that's what I was like. I was like, why don't you just pick, like, a fucking, you know, whatever it is. Yeah, um, it, it doesn't scale up that fast. Um, and also, there's also the theoretical limitation that you're only supposed to shapeshift into things that your character knows about. So, like, yeah. if, Oh, okay, so you it, shouldn't shapeshift into an Andro Sphinx without meeting an Andro Sphinx. Andro Sphinx. Or, like, yes. ha- or reasonably having seen one, right? Like, you're right. in a forest yeah. campaign, you've probably seen a bear. But you probably haven't seen like a, a like a cobra, or yeah, yeah, or a dinosaur. Okay. Cool, 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 cool. Though the um, latest AL thing goes through dinosaurs, which is interesting. It's a, a continent with dinosaurs on it. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, so, but but so like, um, uh, so you get more class features as you level up. This very much is kind of like Pathfinder in that way, right? Right. Okay. Right. Uh, what for spell casting? Are there spell levels? Do they go? You know, like yeah. one through so, nine, one through. So this is actually yeah this is actually pretty great. Spells cast at a uh, at a higher level just have high like you know your 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 burning hands does one d six at level one does two d six at level two does three d six at level three right like depending on what what spell slot you're casting it out of. Um, so you're never you're never losing the efficacy of your level like your lower level spells. Um, you have to you have to cast them out of those higher level slots. I forgot because warlock warlocks don't get. Warlocks, Warlocks don't get spell slots. Yeah. Okay. You get two at, like, your highest level, um, but, like, because, wizards get more yeah. traditional spell slots. Right. Um, uh, but for a Warlock, which is why it's cool, is you get them back for a short rest, not a long rest, and uh, they're always cast at the highest uh, slot level that you own. Yeah. Um, until so, like, you get into, like, there's, like, you get extra spell slots when you get high enough level. For higher yeah. level spells, it's, it's, it's weird. Um, but, yeah, uh... It's, uh, they've got your mainstays in there. One thing that I think is really cool that they do is, um, uh, what's, what's, what, what's the name for the spells? Uh, rituals. That's what they're called. Rituals. Yeah. Right, yeah. Right, right. So like utility spells, you can cast without preparing them, but it takes like 10 minutes to cast. Um, so like if you need a tensor's floating disc to like carry stuff, you don't have to prepare that and waste a spell slot. You can cast it as a ritual, but you can't use it in combat if, for whatever you need to use, cast it. Oh, so combat. you can do it in both ways. Yeah. If that makes like, sense. Okay. Like you could prepare it if you wanted to. Interesting. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, ritual, rituals are from 4th edition, so. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. I mean, it, the, 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 the main thing for me is most of the rituals are like flavor based or they're kind of utility based. So it's nice that they make it so that if you burn up the capability to know a certain amount of spell, you can only know a certain amount of spells. So if you can replace one of those spells with something that you can use utility-wise but not expend your spell slot in exchange. It's it's pretty nice. Gotcha. Um, but unfortunately, in AL, this is something that I, I would be curious about with Mango, uh, you don't really get a lot of flavor in an Adventurer's League because it, they're all pre-written modules. They have all pre-written like, monsters and stuff. And a lot of the people you play with don't really care for the role-playing, so it kind of removes a lot of the fun in the, in the aspect of like people just... Half the people are murder hobos, and uh, 
the, the, the written modules themselves don't necessarily give a lot of way to do a lot of role playing because they're fairly linear. Right. If that makes any sense. Whereas like when you do your uh, your home homebrew games, you can make up like new scenarios. If someone asks you a question, boom, new role playing character appears. Like a new NPC, you have to come up with that on the fly. Yeah. None of that is is true in AL, and it kind of ruins that aspect of it. So, you know, that's why my characters are mostly designed to be like good mathematically. Yeah, no, yeah, that's monsters. Yeah. yeah, that's definitely what what Pathfinder Society can fall into too for you know like hardcore long time players. I mean, we talked about this on the Jetcon yeah. podcast, so. <laughs> oh, I missed that. I'm yeah, sorry. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. It's, uh, like, I, I don't play Adventures, like, I, I don't play Pathfinder Society either, but, like, um, you know, that, 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 that's not much different than Pathfinder, even in, like, it's not like there are things that keep you, there, there are mechanics in place in, in, uh, 5e that, like, encourage role-playing more than Pathfinder, except kind of, um, like, because the numbers are flatter, it is less penalizing to do something like have the non-face talk to someone, um. Uh, um, although, like I said, at my table, at least, that's still a thing that happens where they, they want, they, 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 I'm playing the face in that campaign. So they ask the face to, to do the, uh, the negotiations if we have to. Um, although it, again, it's not, it's not as, as Does 5e, uh, um, you know, we've talked a lot of, obviously about diplomacy subsystems in the past couple of weeks. Does 5e have a, have a different approach to diplomacy than Pathfinder does in any significant capacity? Uh, they renamed them from Diplomacy, Intimidate, and Bluff to uh, Persuade, Deception, and Intimidate, I think. There's still Bluff, if I recall correctly. Well, it's called, it's called Deception. Right, right. There's Deception, yeah. Intimidation, and Persuasion. Persuasion. And Performance is also another thing that they added. Well, Performance has been yeah, in the game. Yeah, Performance is also in Pathfinder. Oh, okay. That's yeah. Sorry, my bad. Yeah. Um, but, but uh uses it because fuck bards, right? Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. Um... <laughs> But, uh, uh, per, but like, I, so it's not significantly different in that way, but I do like the names better because, um, like persuade, like, I think there's a, there's a tendency to fall into a trap where like a like sleazy kind of salesman that's telling you things that are true. Like you want it, like that feels kind of like bluff because diplomacy has this kind of noble connotation, but I think even though that's, I think that would be a diplomacy check. I think that fits better with the name persuasion. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And so I, I, you can I, so you can so persuade someone with shitty reasons, but it's weird to be diplomatic for shitty reasons. Yeah. If that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. So so I, I like the names better. Okay. Um, other major thing is that instead of like professions, um, you get proficiency with tools, and those kind of act in the same. You get to add your proficiency um, bonus on tool uses. Like I have. Mason's tools. Um, my character is a Mason. His name is Mason too. It's great. Um, and he, uh, <laughs> uh, he, and so like he, he is a Mason by the virtue of the fact that he has Mason's tools. He's proficient with them, rather than putting like uh, skill like um, points. Oh, you don't put points into skills in five. You you, you gain proficiencies. And you, you just kind gain of proficiency, it. and then everything kind of just bumps up based on your yeah. your stat bonus and your proficiency bonus. Yeah. Okay, that's also like fourth edition was that way. Yeah, essentially, your proficiency bonus is like a BAB goes up much slower, but it applies to like everything you're good at. Right. Um, uh, significant in this is that um, like things like hitting with spells, you use your casting stat instead of like decks, um, like like you wouldn't. So you you'd use intelligence or whatever to hit. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, 
one other thing, if we're talking about, we're continuing to talk about differences. Uh, one of the things that I noticed in Starfinder, I don't know if this is true in Pathfinder, but the bonuses you get for the background in Starfinder doesn't really seem to make a big impact in your day-to-day -day occurrences. Like, the bonus that you get in your stat is a plus one, so it doesn't change any of your stats. It doesn't do anything there, necessarily. Um, and the, the skills you receive come at 6, 14, and, or 6 and 10, or whatever. Um, they're all kind of spaced out. In 5e, the background that you pick immediately gives you bonuses and items related to that life that allows you, and proficiencies, that kind of tailor into like the type of character that you want to be. Um, so you can get, immediately get uses. Like one of the, the classes that I picked, uh, the backgrounds I picked twice now, is being a noble. And when you get to do that, you get like a, a bonus that says basically when you walk into a town, you can tell everyone you're a goddamn noble and everyone treats you that way. And it's like pretty cool that you immediately get a benefit out of it that you can use in any role-playing situation. And like you also get like a thing that says you're a noble. You get like a pedigree that legitimately says, hey, I'm a noble and like an outfit for it. Right. It's like you get a bunch of cool role-playing things that I don't know if you necessarily get. Or maybe we haven't really come <coughs> into in terms of Starfinder. Um, yeah, so so part of that is is like, how, like the fact that it builds it in I think is good, right? Like I'm a member of the Mason's Guild. Um, and so, like, I get, like, you know, like, the, the rules prescribe that I can, like, I'm a member, I can go to the guild hall and, like, get food if I want. Um, and those things can take place in a in a Pathfinder or a Starfinder game, but that requires kind of more, like, active involvement from the the player and the GM, so, right? Like, so, it, it, also, it also kind of begs the question about the world, right? Like, is the world consistent? This is actually very true of 4th edition, right? Like, there was a pretty inbuilt lore um, to the system. Uh, they, I, who, who's the... Mike Merles? Is yeah, the guy Mike Merles. Yeah. yeah. He basically... He, he once talked about 4th edition and, like, the how he integrated lore into things, and he was kind of like, when we did 3.5... Uh, we wanted everything to be lore agnostic, right? So the lore of all of this was kind of up to you. Uh, but we felt as though that kind of left players hanging, so they, like, tacked on a lot more lore to stuff, right? You know, Dragonborn are these, you know... Uh, there was this once this great Dragonborn Empire of Arcosia. It's now gone, right? Been replaced by the Human Empire of Nerath. And so, you know, like, this informs kind of Dragonborn characters fundamentally, right? Like, is there that kind of stuff? Is there that kind of interaction? Um, I know everything takes place... There, there's no more Greyhawk, right? This all takes place in uh, Forgotten Realms. Uh, they also have rules for, like... Like, some of the Unearthed Arcana has different settings in it. Um... But, uh, like, the backgrounds tend to be a little bit, like, they're not, like, super plot-specific, right? Like, my background implies that there exists a Mason's Guild. Right. Um, but nothing in particular about that. And, you know, for, like, a home run campaign, you could just say you can't take the guild background and you don't have to have that in your world. Um, but none of them are so, at least, at least from what I've seen, are so tied to like the Forgotten Realms details that they couldn't be easily poured into something else. Do you agree with okay. that, uh, Charles? Yeah. Yes, I, I agree. Um, they're, they're fairly agnostic in that sense, but um, I, I still feel like like if you pick certain, uh, like if you pick to be a criminal or something, you also gain the ability to use thieves tools, and that also gives you a little bit immediate benefit, um, which I think is pretty neat. 
What about from uh, from the perspective of like races, right? You know, obviously there's a lot about um, you know Forgotten Realms <clears throat> has a whole bunch of sub races for elves or whatever. I know that there are sub races in Fifth Edition, right? Do those races reflect Forgotten Realms lore in any way? Like, is that Arcosia lore for Dragonborn still intact, or is that completely different? Like. Uh, so I know that um, for like for like example, like they'll like in the core rulebook, you'll like read the drow section and maybe it'll tell you a little bit, but then there'll be like a, a little blurb that's like, and Driss, it's the drow, and he tells you a little bit about Driss Dorden, because um, they really tap into like the uh, you know the, the the famous lore around Dungeons and Dragons for this, um, and you get it a little bit through those sidebars, but not if I remember correctly a ton through. The, the direct stuff in the uh, uh, in in the actual um, in the Play text, handbook. yeah. But yeah. There, it, there's some there's some implication there, right? Like there are mountain dwarves and there are like hill dwarves, and there are like you know the existence of drowns, surf, 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 uh, deep gnomes, um, like imply the existence of an underdark, right? Uh, right. Um, but like nothing nothing so super there, if I remember correctly. Do you? Do you yeah. They don't. They don't necessarily go too heavy into the lore because I, in the player's handbook specifically, um, they spend a lot of time, you know, just introducing everyone to the, the stats and all the abilities. That they don't really have too much time. Just enough to kind of get your juices flowing and for you to do some independent research if you so choose. I, I wouldn't say that they they really build out the world fully in the player's handbook. Um, I believe that's what all the the modules and all the text and those things are for. Okay. <clears throat> Um, and then there are, and then, and then so, um, you know, just like there are kind of these subdivisions of classes, there are a bunch of different subdivisions of races. Um, uh, yes. Yeah. There, there are. Like, uh, between the gnomes, you have like a forest gnome or a deep gnome. Uh, dwarves, you got mountain dwarves. You have uh, hill dwarves. I don't know. They, they do have some distinction between the the, the races in uh, the sub-races. Uh. Um, but uh, the most the most common thing that people do in terms of AL is play uh, variant human, and they do that because it is the most stat uh, perfect race because you can literally pick the stats that you play as. Also, variant human gets like a bonus feat, right? Yeah, you get a oh. bonus feat as well. So like everybody plays that, and it's really boring, and I hate it because I'll go to a table and like three people are human, and they just have like perfectly ideal like stats and weapons and everything. And then I get no role playing experience from it. Uh, um, <laughs> so, but so you like playing? That's funny. I, I actually like playing humans quite a bit. But um, uh, so uh, so uh, this actually brings up something important that we should probably go over, which is uh, feats okay. are much different. Um, so feats are an optional rule technically. Um, you get so uh, you get stat increases like every four levels. I think the fighters fighters get them slightly more often. Yeah, um, fighters get them more, but everyone else only gets some every four. Yeah, and you either get a plus two to any stat, caps out at twenty, or you get a feat. And the feats are 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 rel are like very powerful for what they are. Like um, power attack, uh, the equivalent is um, a minus five to hit, but a plus ten to damage, and that's all there is to it. Um, actually, there's more to it, and I, it's actually one of my favorite things. Even if you don't choose to take the minus five to hit, 
um, which is actually a large sum. Like in, I know in, in Starfinder, like a minus five isn't necessarily like like really bad, but in uh, in five E, it actually is a, a ton because ACs normally for like earlier levels don't get higher than like eighteen, maybe nineteen. So like taking five off of that uh, to hit is a huge chunk. But the other thing is that if you never choose to do that, if you land a critical hit or uh, you happen to kill someone, you get a free bonus attack after your normal attack. So okay. it's not even it's not worthless even if you uh, yeah don't use that. So, sorry, cool. sorry. When, when I said that's it, what I meant was is that it doesn't have like the weird scaling stuff that the Pathfinder power attack uh, has, and it also doesn't like you don't have the option of of swinging or you either take the minus five and get a, a, a huge damage boost, or you don't. But yeah, no, that's an excellent point. My bad. I didn't, uh, yeah. didn't realize that. No, 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 no. Um, the, 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 you were, you were, you were, you were fine to correct me there. Um, um, so another thing that I think is actually cooler in uh, Pathfinder and I, or Starfinder than I assume Pathfinder compared to Five uh, E is the idea of like a threat. Because uh, in in Five E, when you land a natural D twenty, that counts as a crit, and only with a few other classes. Um, that's the only way to get extra damage, and there's no you sh there's no extra effect on top of just flat damage. But I do like the the Starfinder kind of way, or Pathfinder I assume as well, where you have like additional effects on top, like a burn or a wound or like a severe wound. Um, and I just think that is is actually something that's really cool and unique that Five E does not do. Yeah, they, they ramped it up a lot for Starfinder. Also, like so in, in Pathfinder, um, there's a range that you can crit on, and then you also have to roll to confirm. Uh, which is a uh, pain in the ass uh, to kind of just like figure out mechanically. Right. Um, so I like the simplification. I believe you just roll the damage dice again, right, for a critical and auto confirms. Yeah, and in 5e, yeah, yeah. it just auto confirms a hit and then you just roll the die again, um, um, which which can be satisfying, but I, I think getting a cool effect on the side is, is also pretty, pretty sure. neat. Sure. Um, um, but that that is actually a very Starfinder thing. Um, you can get feats for that in Pathfinder, but it is not nearly as... Uh, as widespread, I agree. That is a cool thing that Starfinder does. Um, but on the topic of cool things that 5e does that Starfinder doesn't have. Uh, so Starfinder, you get a lot of like bonuses to hit and bonuses to damage just because everything hits harder and everything like you know does more damage. Um, whereas everything in 5e, you know, you hit it's harder to hit and they take less damage. But one of the really fun things I think is you know at a table, the, obviously one of the most satisfying to do is, is like hold a bunch of dice in your hand and just roll them like crazy. Right. And so the, the fact that you have advantage, when you have an advantage or disadvantage, well, it's less fun for disadvantage, obviously, um, you get to roll two die, which equates to about like a 2.5 increase in your overall roll, but it's still nice to roll two at the same time. There's just more like innate fun in your head, like leaving it up to chance as opposed to like thinking, oh, I get this flat bonus. That I mean, it also sounds like it's it. a much easier, th this is something that I feel like, um, to be honest, is a, w it's like, um, it's not something you could port into Pathfinder uh, because the modifiers in Pathfinder dominate the roles by so much that in most scenarios, um, if you allowed somebody to roll twice, they would just always succeed. Um, uh, but, um, <clears throat> It it the 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 interesting thing about that I feel like is that it's so easy and applicable to so many different kinds of roles that you can just give someone advantage on essentially anything um, in order to kind of represent you know them having a particular efficiency or like affinity for accomplishing some task, but it's also like very kind of um, uh, 
um, like resource light, essentially. Yeah. It's All also- I need to do is say one word, and you understand the kind of bonus that you're getting for you know whatever mm. it is kind of thing. Whereas in Pathfinder, all of the systems to handle that are either back-ended systems about you know reducing DCs you know for for whatever reason right or adding you know weird untyped bonuses to accommodate for something or you know what i mean or whatever right yeah. like all that stuff just like really kind of gums up i think the gears whereas just saying you have advantage on this you have disadvantage on this uh it's such an easy straightforward way to kind of communicate that it, it is much simpler it all yeah it also like like frees up the math a lot you don't have to worry about tracking numbers it's always just like it's always ever roll one more die and then either take the higher or the lower and that just simplifies so much out of the system uh that i think is is is, is pretty pretty great um from that perspective um and, and right. if you were curious the it's actually 3.325 greater than expected value oh my bad um yeah no i i i, I was curious so I, I did the math one day uh but yeah um I, I, I agree, though. It, it, is a, it is a fantastic system um, for just kind of, like, getting things out there and, and just kind of, like, rolling with it rather than having to screw around with stuff. Um, something I wanted to point out that kind of, like, uh, to go back to, like, the feeds thing a little bit um, is that uh, this, is, this sounds super specific, but um, Armor doesn't have Arcane Spell Failure Chance. Um, so like, oh, really? Yeah. So, like, Dwarves give you proficiency with medium armor, so I'm an arcane spellcaster in medium armor, and I took a feat for heavy armor. So it's it's you can be like a tanky caster with relatively like little investment if you build your character right. Like dwar- I think dwarves are, I think they're mountain dwarves are, are popular because of this, because um, they give you proficiency in like warhammers. Oh, it's medium armor, or it's it's armor depending on what you're already proficient in, and then like uh, warhammers and uh, and uh, like throwing axes or something it's like you get like and so you just get straight proficiency with it you can just do it and it's a lot of fun um similarly something that i think is neat is that armor um uh light armor gives you any dex bonus medium armor gives you a max dex bonus of two and heavy armor gives you no dex bonus but also takes away any dex penalty Right. Um, which I think is really neat because, like, I've got a negative dex modifier because I'm a dwarf and I thought that was thematic. And so I suited myself up in heavy armor and I'm no longer at a disadvantage for having low dex. I think that's, like, it's really small change, but I think it's a really cool thing for, like, playing into that kind of, uh, into that kind of uh, fantasy, right? That, like, you could just throw armor on top of it and, you know, if it's heavy enough, it doesn't matter how fucking nimble you are. Right, right, right. Um, so... Actually, I'm I'm curious. Uh, so, buddy, you played that one game in Gen Con, and you we had a good time because you know all our friends were there, and mm-hmm. the plot was quite, quite the drams, quite had quite a bit of drams, <laughs> uh, which you loved. Uh, so I I've been playing so much D and D lately. Like this week is liter- almost literally every day I'm doing something D and D related. So like, yesterday I played Starfinder. Today I'm doing this podcast. Tomorrow I'm playing D and D. Thursday I'm not doing anything, but then Friday I'm playing D&D again, and then Saturday I'm playing D&D again. So, like, I don't have time to play too many systems, and I'm wondering what is keeping Buddy Sola from trying out 5e. Uh, mostly just that I am at a, I'm at something of a, of a saturation point when it comes to games. Uh, I can I can do about two games a week just because I have other responsibilities and stuff like that. My schedule makes it kind of tough. Um, therefore, you know, right now I have Starfinder, 
uh, we're playing on Mondays, and then Pathfinder we're playing on Wednesdays. Obviously, that's Hell's Rebels, right? Uh, though I do want to mention uh, that, uh, well, we can talk about this a little more off the podcast, I guess. Uh, Hell's Rebels, obviously, um, if you listened to the podcast last week, you know that we came to a pretty big inflection point, which is that Barzillai Thrun has kind of revealed that your goal and his goal are a little more aligned than you might otherwise have thought, and there is the possibility that you uh, that you move forward either with him, you know, like, by, by compromising with him, um, and, and creating a, a, a government with the fusion of the two of you, or you can continue on the same path, which is essentially that, you know, you defeat him and kill him and shit like that, and then take over Ravenel, uh, for yourself sort of thing. Um, the, uh, uh, that means that the next couple of books will be really radically defined by those two differences, right? Um, and, uh, and I'm gonna need some time to do prep work for that, which we have, like, a small break. Maybe it would make some sense for me to play a little bit of Pathfinder, or, I'm sorry, a little bit of, uh, 5th edition in that hole in the schedule, essentially. Um, just to, just to kind of get a taste of it. Yeah. Uh, mostly because I actually, I, I, I like a lot of what I'm hearing, to be really honest with you. It sounds like a system, I, I'm a huge apologist for 4th edition. I fucking love 4th edition, uh, compared to a lot of people out there, especially people who play primarily Pathfinder. And even though there is a ton of stuff in Pathfinder that I have yet to play and that I really want to. For the rest of my life, I could be playing Pathfinder and I feel like I would never kind of bottom out. I mean, we shit all over the shifter class, right, uh, in our kind of review of um, the Ultimate Wilderness systems. Um, but, uh, but I have to say... I would still love to play a shifter. You know what I mean? Like, there's just so much. There's just so much content in, in Pathfinder. I want to see all of it. Uh, but uh, you know, the 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 sub races, um, the flattening out of the numbers. Man, the flattening out of the numbers is like a huge one for me, especially as a GM. By the way. Um, the, a lot of this stuff really makes me want to get in and play. Um, and specifically, by the way, when I played that 5th edition game, if you'll remember, I was a conjurer, I want to say, which allowed me to create, like, essentially... Yeah, you created cubes. Yeah, you create, like, cubes or whatever. Man, I went so nuts creating fucking items. That was such <laughs> a useful ability, right? And I love yeah. I love that that ability to... Th you know, like, one of the things that attracts me so much to D&D is the ability to think outside the box, right? Uh, because you're with another person rather than a computer system right and another person can think on their feet a lot a lot more efficiently uh if that makes sense and so my hope is um that i will be able to uh that i'll be able to play some fifth edition uh at some point and really kind of get into it um so yeah hmm. and mango you don't play adventures league right you play no. homebrew yeah uh, okay i see um, this is, this is not, I can't really talk about homebrew like uh, AL with you guys because there's a. Uh, well, well, you, you t tell us like you you mentioned the part that you, there's not a lot of RP there, but what else do you think of Adventures League in terms of like, I don't know what are your what are your thoughts on it because we don't play a lot of Pathfinder Society either, which is the Pathfinder equivalent, right? Um, so um, and since you play a lot of it, I'm interested in your perspective on just kind of like organized play in general. Uh, or well. Because it is organized play, one of the main benefits, I would say, is that you can pick up and play anywhere. So, like, when I went to Gen Con, I was able to play in 5e and come back with, like, extra golden experience that I wouldn't have otherwise gotten. And, like, if you're visiting someone, like, in another place and they have a comic book store, you can just kind of hop in and out. Yeah. And so one of the really cool things about doing that is that you meet a lot of people, some of them not fun to play with, but a lot others who you are also, like, you know, you learn to be friends with. And 
one of those people who I played uh, 5e with at my first table is actually a good friend of mine now and we he's part of our home group group and like his friends came and joined in and now my roommate runs an entire like or he runs 5e at home not home group I guess um, because of the friends we made through like the um, through Adventures League so that part is really cool playing with new people each time um, you have a lot of consistency with it as well because like when you're organizing with friends you know some people sometimes people can't make it or like they're busy doing something so the schedules get screwed up i.e like the past month of starfinder didn't happen basically um or eg technically um but when you go to al it's like basically always there because the dms <laughs> they take vacations but there's always another dm to take their place so you always have something to do which is pretty nice um but one of the things that can be really annoying is that because they're not necessarily your friends, even though you can make friends with some of them, um, like if we're playing and let's say our homebrew group and someone really wants to be like in the spotlight, uh-huh. like because we're friends, we can like shit on them and be like, dude, what the hell? Or like just let them die at certain times because we know them. So like we can, if you can't shit on your friends, it's just not really a friend. Um, but in AL, you know, they're kind of strangers. Like, you, you've seen them a bunch. Like, they've seen you a bunch because you go there every week. And, like, you kind of know each other. But you don't talk to each other. You don't know what they're like except in the context of AL. So, like, if someone is being a dick, you really can't do anything about it. And that part kind of sucks. Like, last game, literally, like, these guys had this box. They, like, opened the box. They, were like, spent all this effort opening this box. And then a demon came out. And one of the players was like, oh, well, uh, let's not open the box. And the DM, for some godforsaken reason, was like, okay. And I was like, you just removed the consequence. That would have been tough. I might have died, but, like, it would have been more interesting. And, like, so, like, if someone does shit like that, then it kind of ruins your personal experience. And uh, my roommate says it best. And he says, like, I'm not going to tell someone else how to have their fun. And that's kind of one of the, the, the downsides with AL. But Right. Um, it also again, sounds like you can't build... See, this is, the, this is another thing that really turns me off about kind of AL or Pathfinder um, uh, society is, like, I think a lot about characters in, in the context of arcs, right? You know what I right. mean? Like, Kenzo had a really long arc uh, that took place over the course of about three books, you know, and... Um, and it's important, and that kind of thing is important to me. You know what I mean? Uh, but when you when you kind of show up to AL or to Pathfinder Society because other people don't know the kind of previous point that you're starting from, you, you have less of an ability to have that kind of uh, to have that kind of arc. Right. Um, and that that definitely happens in AL because mm-hmm. you know you're meeting new people each week or you're playing. With this, different very even if it's mostly the same it still varies week to week so like you don't necessarily have that consistency and the dm is not allowed to really create their own character arcs to make the story more interesting for each specific character right which kind of sucks um but yeah that's that's my opinion on uh, al well well uh, i can't say i'm su- super surprised or anything but uh that's how that sounds about what what i've i've heard about uh about a Pathfinder society as well. Um, uh, so, so obviously you keep going back. So you, you feel that uh, some D like you know not great D and D is better than no D and D. Then there's there's that, but also uh, there are a few DMs that I, I I happen to like. I've actually through AL I've played with one, two, three, 
things. I play with six or seven different DMs, which is which kind of gives you a nice perspective on like what other how other people view the same game, even though there are stringent rules on it. Mm-hmm. And you can very easily pick out like, oh, this guy like hand waves too much stuff. This guy is straight by the book. And you know, you can kind of get a feel for who you want to play with. So like AL is better because of some DMs who like do voices and try to get into the the into their characters, even just the MP, especially the NPCs, um, and you know, make it more of an exciting time than just someone who is like by the book and does just and like t- another thing that is really annoying that I've that I've seen a few of is that you know you know when you go to a, a comic book store you hang out with people with similar interests. So some of those people get married, and uh, there was this one group where the GM uh, was married to a player in the game, and like the wife would just be like. So is this gonna work? And the GM's like, no, or be like, yes, or like maybe you should ask it like this. And because she's there, so close with the prep work and all of that, it like she knows all the answers, and it kind of ruins the experience because yeah, there are times she holds back, but the other times where if the puzzle's really tough, she just straight up like gives up the answer, and it kind of ruins ruins you know the the fun that you would get from trying to figure it out yourself. Yeah, that does. Uh, that definitely does. Suck. Sorry, we're getting <laughs> we're getting we're getting off topic. I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean, sorry. It's, um, it's 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 that's actually a very good point, right? Like you go to you go to Adventures League, you can choose your DM, right? Like, yeah, you know, I'm I'm stuck with fucking Buddy running Hell's Rebels, motherfucker. Um, <laughs> I mean, I think that there is a lot to be said about the relationship between a DM and a player that is kind of not up- adequately addressed by Adventures League, right? Like, obviously, this is you know. Not not to circle back to this character arcs thing, but that's one of the benefits that you get when you have a when you know you have a consistent GM or whatever. Um, but I think that what you're describing is a tough problem, right? If I'm if me and Mango decide to go to Adventures League together, I as a GM and he as a player, and he's sitting in my group, I think you fall into the same kind of thing because there is uh, there's an inadequacy between or or or, or like um, just like um, inequality between the relationship that I have with Mango versus the relationship that I have with the three randos, right? Um, right. So you know that's rough and not perfect, uh, and it's what it is. Right. Uh, so going back to just straight up five E versus uh, other other gaming systems, is there anything in particular, buddy? I, I know you mentioned earlier about like how you like that the numbers are kind of pulled down, but is there any other big thing in the Pathfinder or Starfinder system that you would like to change so that we, we Mango and I can see if there's a five E solution to that? Oh, that's a good question. That's a really good question. I don't know what would be my answer to that. Okay, so here's one. <clears throat> I don't know if they I don't know if they did anything with this. One of the things that I liked a lot about 4th edition um, is that the different types of weapons um, were consistently they were consistent with one another um, but also uh, like varied to a certain extent um, so essentially with weapons you also had a specific bonus called a proficiency bonus not the same as a path or as a 5e proficiency bonus um, that just kind of said like if you make an attack with this weapon you get a plus to hit with uh, you get a plus to hit with it that's of a certain variety right and you you essentially had swords that were more accurate because they had higher proficiency bonuses right axes which were better critic which were better critical weapons because they did more critical damage um and then uh uh like maces or hammers who had bad proficiency and bad uh critical uh but the highest base damage in the game right so instead of right 1d12 they would have like 2d6 or something like that 
Um, and, uh, and, and, and that was true of all variety. You know what I mean? Like a one-handed mace, a one-handed sword and a one-handed ax all had similar, like that, that stuff was all similar, right? Or, you know, an exotic weapon mace, an exotic weapon ax, an exotic weapon hammer, all the way up to, um, a two-handed sword, a two-handed ax, right? A two-handed mace kind of thing. Is there anything along those lines that makes weapons differentiated in that same way in 5e uh you want you want to start with this mango or you 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 go ahead and take it because i I haven't played as many martial characters as you have okay uh so the way that weapons work in 5e is that you have simple weapons and martial weapons and simple weapons are like you if you have a dagger as a uh sorry let me start with something easier if you have like a hammer in as a simple weapon like a light hammer you have like a, a war hammer and the martial weapon, and there's a very small, diff- there's a, a very distinct difference there. Like the light hammer does one d four, whereas the war hammer does one d eight. So like it's just an immediate change in damage. Um, and so the those weapons that you start with, pretty much the because they've tuned all of the values down, they don't have any special effects to them except for just the damage that's already listed. Um, but so how do you get stronger weapons is basically. Uh, magic weapons or special weapons with special features so like the most common thing you get is like a plus one or a plus two weapon which basically just says you know if it's a plus one weapon when you roll to hit you roll whatever uh, stat it would be like dex for something that requires finesse like a dagger or like a bow or like you know if it's strength based you add that proficiency but you get a free plus one on the hit and a free plus one on the damage so you're effectively increasing the guaranteed damage um, so that's that's one of the ways that they do it. And then in terms of, I don't know if Starfinder has like particularly, like when I played Starfinder, everything is just kind of listed and you can make the augmentations yourself. But in um, in 5e, they have books that talk about like specific magic items with very unique qualities that you can then, like, and that's it. You don't you don't really upgrade your weapons, so to speak. Um, yeah. Okay. So, so, so this is actually a criticism I've heard leveled at 5e is that they hide the magic items away and they're not very they're not super great about them. Um, but uh, I, I think the answer to your question directly is is no. Um, in the interest of kind of like leveling things out, things are, are more kind of, they are more the same than they are different, um, which kind of frees you up to like choose what you want based on cosmetic or uh, on, you know, kind of cosmetic choice yeah, rather than on, uh, on, you know, power gaming choice. But, you know, um, I, I always pick the hammer because that's my favorite type of weapon. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I have a I have a tough time uh, in in a certain sense, uh, and I don't know that there's like even that fourth edition system which I like. I don't think it's perfect, obviously, at accomplishing this. But I do think that there's something very cool to saying like I'm going to be a critical hit barbarian, and therefore I I'm going to take a great axe, which makes sense because I'm a, I'm an orc barbarian or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, right. um, <clears throat> or like I'm a you know I'm a I'm a paladin. You know I'm a noble paladin, and I've been training my whole life to you know, to fight. And so my great sword, right? Like <clears throat> I'm, I'm just good at hitting people with my great sword or whatever. Right. Um, so you get those benefits tailored to the type of style in which you choose yeah, yeah. your character. And, but, but, but it also, and then it also kind of like hit, has like a flavor hit to, you know what I mean? Where it's not just right. like, cause I actually do think that there's something that's not great about a purely cosmetic system. Like if you have a system that says two handed weapons are two D six, one handed weapons are one D six 
and you know whatever exotic weapons are 1d10 or something like that and then you just kind of fill in the blanks and say well my 2d6 weapon is a hammer because i like hammers versus my my 2d6 weapon is an axe i actually think that that system is not great because it's so weightless you know what i mean and it makes the choice completely you know superfluous essentially um Uh, actually, uh, Angry GM did a very good article about it. He did it with armor instead of with weapons, but he basically went into what, like how his decision making about, he, he wrote new armor for a campaign he's running. Um, I'll link it in the description, but it's very much along kind of the same ways that you're saying, buddy, that like, uh, that like, you, like some, you don't need to plug all the holes because you want things to be interesting. You just, and you want some randomness in there to make the choices kind of neat and, and like a little bit more varied. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and like you were talking about Mango earlier, uh, I don't know, sorry to interrupt, buddy, um, but you were saying how that like uh, 5e hides the magic items away, and that is something that is very true with uh, Adventures League. Like, I have one magic item after playing a character for, I want to say, three or four months, I uh, have gotten one magic item. Wow. And that is it. Or maybe th- at least. At well, least it, it also sounds like the magic items. I mean, I'm a fan. We use um, the automatic bonus progression in Health Rebels. I'm a big fan of the automatic bonus progression system. Um, uh, how how intrinsic to the power level of characters are magic items? Uh, they're pretty big bonuses. Right, uh, but but so like, but I, the, the the question here is more along the lines of um, how important is it for your character to have a magic item for him to be quote unquote competitive? In Pathfinder, a 10th level fighter with no magic items is an awful character. But a 10th level fighter with magic items... Like and you uh, and you need like the big six or whatever they're called. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Not yeah. It's not even just that you know like 10th level you have like sixty thousand gold or a hundred thousand gold or whatever. But if you spend a hundred thousand gold on like I don't know, fucking uh, no, feather uh, tree tokens. An, <laughs> well, I was gonna say an apparition of Qualish or whatever. Uh, what apparatus it? of Qualish. Yeah, yeah, an apparatus of Qualish. Right, like um, you are you are not just underpowered. You are completely ineffective. Like, I don't think that you could build an effective character at 10th level without without gold. Um, and that's not even addressing the fact that you can make an ineffective character just by picking the wrong magic. You know, like, if you don't have belts of giant strength and shit like that, um, you know. Uh, so so how, how necessary are magic items from that perspective? Uh, I would say that some characters are more immune to needing magic items um, than others. Okay. But if you, like, for, say, the druid, like, he's a spellcaster who also shapeshift, but your magic items aren't particularly useful necessarily when you turn into an animal, right? And since your animal stuff scales with your level, if you're an animal half of the time, it doesn't really matter that your magic items are crap. Um, but for, say, like, a wizard in, in 5e, a wizard, you get spell books, which allows you to increase your overall spell collection. So if you're not playing campaigns where you find spell books, you're effectively much less useful... Um, overall and like a fighter without magic armor without a magic weapon like a purely physical fighter has no ability like a lot of once you hit like tier two which is levels five to ten a lot of monsters have resistance to normal physical attacks so if you're a normal fighter and you don't have a weapon that's magical right you basically don't hurt them gotcha um which which kind of sucks um so yeah it i would say that it it cripples you but you can still contribute you're not like totally worthless but you are significantly weaker um and one of the things that uh, i you know i'm gonna talk about yeah it's just not really relevant right now yeah um, um 
it's kind of in that same and I, I wanted to say that like for from my experience it's less important than Pathfinder but not not important okay um but something I do want to highlight is that is something with magic items I think they do well is that a lot of use magic items are like x uses per day and they recharge overnight instead of being like x total number of charges which I think really elegantly solves like the cure light wounds wand problem um because like instead of having like 50 charges and you just have like seven of them um, you have, like, you can use, like, like, uh, I've got a circle that can cast, uh, Searing Ray, uh, like, once, uh, once a day. Um, and I get that every day, but I don't have to worry about running out of it or, like, you know, like, right, power, right. power spamming down the boss with it. A friend of the cast, Nick, has famously said that consumables are definitionally a waste of money because you will eventually <laughs> run out of them. Um, mm. and to be honest, you know, like, I mean, I think. That's you can't argue that that's not true. That is obviously the case. Yeah, that is literally um, factual. Yeah, so you know, <laughs> uh, that, I mean, you know, obviously. Well, whatever. I'm not going to get into the edge cases here. Okay, I feel pretty good uh, about this. I have to say, I have been, I have been looking to play a five E game um, for for I guess like a long time. It's just hard. There's just so much shit to do. Uh, I also no, want to play a seven C game. You know what yeah. I mean. Mm. I want to play. I just want to do lots of lots of different things. You guys. Yeah. Um, um, I don't know <laughs> if you saw Charles Powell, but seven uh, uh, C is releasing uh, an Eastern themed game in August, and I assume oh it'll be God. at Gen Con. Yeah. So I'm 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 hyped for that. Um, yeah, we have also that. talked about we have also talked about pre uh, uh, kind of like preempting Gen Con by a little bit instead of just showing up for the back end of the week. Right. We would you Definitely know we would go do and do and do like a more dedicated thing. So maybe that's you know maybe we could play like a four day you know fifth edition game you know twelve hours a day just like go fucking ham on it or something. Well, we gotta yeah. play Diplo though. Oh Diplo. yeah, we do. Yeah, we do gotta play diplomacy. No, we don't have to play it. Yeah, we do little. Have various, you ever played diplomacy? We have our Charles? own mini Gen Con, huh? Have you ever I played have... diplomacy? I don't think so. Did we play that at Gen Con? Oh, no. But Diplomacy is then the no. fucking best. <laughs> I played Diplomacy with Mango in college. Diplomacy is a game uh, with, like, no dice. There's no, like, randomness involved. It is literally... It is one of the, the best representations of a diplomatic game I have ever seen, ever. You know what I mean? Huh. Like, it's just all about your relationships with other people. Uh, and, uh, man. Are there cards as well? Or is it... There, no, is there, there, yeah. yeah. So, so it's, is there no randomness? So there's no randomness. It is um, World War One Europe. Um, and the first 15 minutes of each round are you, you do diplomacy, right? Like, they tell you go nuts, wheel and deal, make deals, lie, cheat, steal, eavesdrop, be a bastard, right? Like... Yeah. Um, mm. and like, this is explicitly in the rule book too. It's great. Um, and then after, after those 15 minutes, which everybody always wants it to go longer because I'm not done yet, but you need, you need to kill it at 15 minutes. You need or, to kill, <laughs> otherwise the game, the game always takes forever and no one ever finishes them. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, like you write down orders on a piece of paper and then you pass it to your right and they all get it resolved simultaneously. And one to one always cancels out. So you need support from somebody else. To yeah. push you your way into a territory. On your, you can't win the game on your own. You need to broker alliances and deals and say, if you support me here, I'll support you there kind of thing in order to, you know, like in order to get closer to actually like winning the game sort of thing. Um, and, uh, oh God, it's so, and, and because everything resolves simultaneously, you can't go, but you know what I mean? Like you can't go back. You have to kind of put yourself, 
uh, put yourself out there, put yourself at risk and say, you know what I mean? I'm going to commit to this offensive and I'm just going to have to hope that Mango backs me up like we agreed and he's not fucking me over, right? But people are always fucking people over. And yeah, I, 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 I'm actually very bad at diplomacy, even though I have a lot of fun because I'm too noble. Like, yeah. I, I, like I typically stick to my word and I assume that everybody else will. And then I lose because Barry, <laughs> like this has happened to me twice with Barry actually, where Barry very critically didn't support me in one spot and it basically unraveled the whole game for me um <laughs> yeah our, our friend danny's like that too just like no no sign of anything on his face just like knife six inches into your back he's like that's diplomacy um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's so good that's dude. Awesome. oh man <laughs> Uh, anyway, uh, so, I, so I guess that about wraps it up for 5e. Um, uh, but we still have half an hour to go. How I, I had some other stuff that I could ask. Boys? If, you, if you wanted. Um, I, I was going to say, a tangent based on what Buddy just said. Um, I was curious, uh, Mango, if you ever have trouble, uh, and, and you only have the one 5e game. Do you ever have, or you or Buddy, have trouble in your D&D games in general about moving away from who you are as a person and... and being fully in character like i play a lawful evil dude but sometimes i do nice things and i'm like i don't think he would necessarily do that but there's another thing because i'm playing al i'm not allowed to kill friends or like be mean to friends or they will like kick you out basically yeah yeah like, like in that starfinder game right yeah like in that starfinder <laughs> yeah, game yeah, which yeah. i should have just rolled those dice because i but i didn't know oh, we were only God. gonna play homebrew because oh, i only know adventures i'd only know adventures league but i should have fucking rolled those. Oh, that, that was, was so, so funny. that was so great um but yeah um i find myself getting better at it as i play more um although like beauregard is occasionally less ruthless than i'd want he has more ruths then I'd want him to, um, but, uh, uh, you know, just the thing with time, I get better at it. Um, there's also kind of an aspect of like the reason I am playing of most of my characters is because it's like emphasizing a part of me that I want to explore. So it's not as difficult, right? Like I, I rarely play things that are like totally against who I am as a person, right? Like, right. like I, I've never played like. You know, like uh, a fucking like cannibal commie or something, um, and so like it, it, it's it's easier in, the, in that in that pers- in, in, from that perspective. Uh, I actually feel that this is less of uh, this is this is mostly something that comes out in the group that I am playing with. Um, an easy example of this would be in Mark's game that I had a kind of like, my character had a kind of crisis of conscious role-playing experience, but because Nick is not very in tune with the role-playing experience, um, he was just kind of like, buddy, you control the character, you can get him past this, why are you being such a dick and holding up the whole game? You know what I mean? <laughs> so like, mm. uh, we were in an environment, and, and you know, and I understand that, right? But like, I was in an environment where I was trying to role-play, but the people I was with were not kind of meeting right. me halfway, kind of which is right. a, which is kind of a damper on things, right? Like, one of the things that I think worked so well about our 5th edition game is we all went really hard into it, right? Oh, um, yeah, absolutely. And every kind of put the, everybody kind of put themselves uh, out there uh, to a certain extent um, when it came to, like, actually role-playing minute by minute. But I think if you're the only person doing that in a group or there is a small contingent of the group that kind of, like, does that, it's really easy to get self-conscious and kind of, like, you know what I mean? I think yeah, so, I that, so that's, kind of my, that's kind of my perspective on things. And that said, I also don't think that that kind of thing is necessarily, um, uh, like, I don't think that it's, like, a, 
I think there's something to be said for a middle ground, I guess, right? Like, for instance, I think that it's okay for the conversations that Beauregard, Alaric, uh, to have kind of with me as a GM about the politics of a situation, to kind of bleed the line between in-character and out-of-character to a certain extent. Um, and that's kind of, you know, it's, it's not a binary, it's a scale, right? Like, there's, 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 there's a middle ground here somewhere where, like, you are playing the character, but you are also being the player and that's that's also a sweet spot that you can kind of hit with the game right yeah because i mean even if you do something that's out of character you can come up with a motivation maybe in the heat of the moment or later that still makes it make sense yeah um, which is kind of the advantage of making up literally everything um so i had, I had one more question that I, I i thought would be kind of fun to do um and that is to ask buddy what his favorite type of character to play is and then for mango and i to come up with one or maybe two examples of classes we think would exemplify what Buddy would like to play. Oh, in five E. Yeah. Okay, that sounds that sounds that sounds awesome. Yeah. Okay, so the so the the pro probably the interesting way to go about this a little bit um, is the characters that I default to most often, not just in D and D, but in, in can I guess? Can I guess real quick? Yeah. Can I guess real quick? It's a sure. brawler type motherfucker. Oh really? You think so? Oh, maybe I'm wrong. Well, I guess okay. Swiss so this, is not so at all really, what I'm really what I really what I'm kind of getting at is that um, uh, Mango has seen this kind of upfront, which is that I name a lot of my characters similar things. You know what I mean? Like there is a Tonric mm. in Hell's Rebels, which is also like similar to the Tonric that I play in World of Warcraft, that I RP in World of Warcraft, right? Which is similar uh. to the Tonric that I named my character in Dragon Age Inquisition, or what you know, like whatever it is, sort of thing, uh, right? Okay. Um. And so, if I were to make Tonric in uh, uh, in in a vacuum, right, um, right, to allow you guys to kind of stat him up, uh, so Tonric is typically defined by um, he wears heavy, heavy armor, right, um, and then use it, and then either dual wields or uses a two hander. Most uh, like I, with a preference towards dual wielding, right. He is entirely martial. There's nothing magic about him. Um, he is, uh, lawful neutral, um, uh, he's a human, um, and, I don't know, what else? Oh, and he also, um, kind of has a bias towards, like, damage over tankiness, um, in the sense of, like, you know, Tonric is a, is a person whose fighting style best exemplif exemplifies kind of, like, you know, like, um, the, the only hit point that matters is your last... And the best CC is death. You know what I mean? That's kind of that. That's that's Tonric in a vacuum. That's Tonric in a nutshell. How would you stat okay. him up? Uh, do you want to go first, Mango, or me? Uh, you go for it because I'm looking up something that I I'm not sure how it works <laughs> in five E. Okay. Well, then the most immediate thing that comes to mind is a fighter because a fighter uh, is just straight physical. There is nothing mm. other than straight physical brutality there. And you said he wears heavy armor. Otherwise, I would have picked yeah. a barbarian. But, yeah, uh, barbarians are not. They have a thing called natural defense where they get extra defense based on their dexterity and constitution modifiers. But because you're wearing heavy armor all the fucking time, I would put you as a champion in uh, in D and D. Does, is he is he intel like is he intelligent in any way? Does he like kind of command yeah. the field or is he? So he, he, he definitely, does he definitely does, like yeah, that. he is in, in, for instance, in World of Warcraft RP, he is not a very good fighter himself, but he's a good tactician, like, he's a good, like, shot caller, mm. for instance, okay. in, like, the League of Legends sense, um, and right. the same thing is kind of, you know, like, he, 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 the same thing is kind of true in, uh, in Hell's Rebels, uh, to a certain extent, 
Though interestingly, okay. the Hell's Rebels Tonric is actually a, uh, um, uh, a cavalier, which obviously there is not. There actually is a cavalier class. That oh really? Xanathar's got yeah. I, that was gonna be another oh, shit. thing that I just wanted to comment on, just because I thought it would be so fucking cool. Uh, so I'm glad that you mentioned. Does that. the cavalier uh, have so mounted? Is it mounted cavalier? I have. Or? I have two. I have, so then now it gives me two two thoughts on the classes that you would be. Um, just to steal Mango Thunder because uh, because I have current uh, voice rights. I would say there's a cavalier class in Xanathar's that I would pick for you or Battlemaster. Okay. Um, and so I was actually really hyped about Cavalier because I thought it'd be extremely fun to roleplay. So I'm going to talk about that first. Um, so one of the one of the unfortunate things is even though your class is called Cavalier, you're not guaranteed a mount, which I guess actually kind of makes it interesting. In the oh no, that's character. fine. I actually don't. Yeah. I, I like Cavalier a lot, but I do not like mounts. I, I don't oh, think really? mounted combat is great. So I yeah, like uh, most Cavalier variants uh, include the mount, um, but I always want to get rid of the mount. I always want to okay, get rid of the well, mount and just kind of be like the knight. Well, okay. Well, you can be the knight on the mount, or you can be the knight off of the mount. That's um, awesome. And so, uh, one of the really cool... Well, I thought being mounted was really cool, so I'm going to speak to that first. Um, so, you can... In, in 5e, you have to buy the mounts that you own. And actually, now that I think about it, not having a mount guaranteed actually makes it for way better roleplay. Because in any mm -hmm. given battle, you could lose your horse that you've right. been friends with for a really long time. And then that would just be a beautiful thing of story. But, uh, yeah. So you then you can horse, ride the druid. And then, yeah, you can then get yeah. it. <laughs> um, We've so talked about cool that, things... right? How you can do that in Pathfinder. Yeah. Whatever. You, yeah, you could do that in 5e. Well, I well, actually well, have well. always wanted, to be honest with you, in, in terms of, like, jokey, cheesy character concepts, that is a character concept I 1,000% could get behind. Well, so the druid could turn into a horse, is my point. It could turn into yeah. anything. Right, right. But, like, yeah. like, anyway, go on. Sorry, I did not mean to interrupt you. No, it's fine. Uh, so the the reason why the Cavalier is cool, uh, he's so he's kind of like a commander on the battlefield in the sense that uh, he can mark an enemy. Uh, it's a thing called unwavering mark, and at third level you can mark an enemy, and that enemy uh, when it attacks anyone other than you has disadvantage on the roll, which is which is nice to have. Um, and then also if it uh, if they hit them, I should know that's a different thing. But you can make basically you can make them uh, miss all of your friends. So you say this this is a big bad. I'm going to protect my big bad. The big I'm going to protect my friends from the big bad by standing near the big bad. So in like a role playing sense, if the big bad was trying to attack one of your friends, you kind of would be in front of him, like getting in his way, putting your shield up or something like that to uh, not have them get hurt. Um, so the actually that's kind of battle mastery in the way that Tonric would be, I guess. Um, okay. And then at level 7, you get to uh, fend off strikes directed to your mount or other creatures. So when someone close to you makes an attack, you can use your reaction to roll a d8, and that increases the other person's AC for that attack. Oof. And if they still get hit, it gives them resistance, which means they take half damage. So you're like the ultimate protector of your friends against uh, enemies who that attack is, you. That is... That is... That is... That's and because... Cool. Yeah, and uh, if you are standing next to some enemies, there's another thing that level you get at level 10. Uh, creatures that provoke an opportunity attack from you, uh, when they move away from you, if you hit them on the attack, they can't move anymore. Their speed goes to zero. Um, and one thing that you probably actually really love is that even if you don't have a horse, you can charge into battle like the, the badass Tonric is. Mm -hmm. um, so if you move at least 10 feet or more in a straight line, when you attack someone... 
they have to make a strength saving throw or they go prone and then you can fuck them up after that so when someone is prone and you're a melee fighter you get advantage on every attack so you're gonna be that captain that runs in on a steed or by himself and knock over the enemy while protecting your friends that may be tonic okay so i'm reaching real deep into the unearthed arcana for this one okay um Oof, okay. So, I'm going to recommend that you play, to, to get the most out of Tonric without repeating anything that Charles just said, <laughs> um, is you play a ranger with the, there's the two-weapon fighting ranger, you take, you have to take the two-weapon fighting, uh, if two-way, take the two-weapon fighting variant, uh, or the two-weapon fighting feat, um, at first level, as a human, you have to play the variant human. That way, you could because you can only dual wield light weapons unless you have the two weapon fighting feet. So you want to be dual wielding warhammers are neat because they do one d eight in one hand, but you can also dual hand them for one d ten, like two hand them. They're called it's a versatile property. Um, but you can just wield two of them if you have two weapon fighting. Um, and then you want to go for the spellless variant, which is in a class design variant document on Earth Arcana from Mike Merles, where he describes how to like modify classes. But he has a, ra- a spellless ranger in there, which basically oh, gives you, which gives you uh, like maneuvers instead of uh, instead of your uh, spell casting, and uh, some other stuff. That uh, is that is actually pretty neat. Yeah, I have to say that when I built I built a Tonric in Pathfinder, and he was a Slayer uh, because of that ability, um, because I could tank his dexterity and then get all the two weapon fighting feats with ranger st- stuff. Oh, the um, ranger, uh, the, the yeah. ranger combat. So that he style, would have yeah. high. So he would have high, and he was dual wielding bastard swords, I think. And so that he would have high. Um, uh, so that he would have a high strength, right? Like I could pump his strength, and um, and not have to worry about not have to worry about dexterity. Also, there's something to be said. Like I also envision him a little bit as like a like a well, whatever. Who cares? Um, yeah. Um. The, but, yeah. Uh, but honestly, the big one I think is probably like a champion. Um, yeah. Th- there is a fighter ability that lets... So the big thing is that you don't get your ability modifier on your offhand weapon unless you're a ranger with the two-weapon fighting style or gotcha. a fighter um, with something. Um, and so probably the... And you need that feat to get re- what you really want there. Um, but, uh, yeah. I'd probably... Yeah, that's probably the, the best thing for... Champion. Yeah, maybe maybe Battlemaster yeah. if, if you want... Yeah, like, maybe Battlemaster if he wants to, yeah. For a little but, bit more okay. tactics, but... Champion is like literally no tactics. One of like the abilities that champion gets is that uh, when you hit fifth, third level, you score crits on nineteen and twenty, and when you hit level fifteen, you score crits on eighteen, nineteen, or twenty. So you just like the chance of you to crit is fifteen percent on every roll. Uh, so so this is this is actually like pure physicality. This is the thing that I wanted to point out for the revised ranger. Um, is there's a uh, oh, where is it uh, on the hunter conclave? You get a uh, you you can choose a feature. One of them is Colossus Slayer, um, and you just do an extra one d eight if the, your opponent has less than maximum HP. Um, Ooh, that's turn. cool. Um, it's pretty dumb. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I I'm not super familiar with the Ranger, but like um, uh, people, I've seen people use that to great effect, and it's just stupid. Uh, yeah. Um, and it also comes with the whirlwind attacks. You can just like. Spin, spin to win, buddy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh my god, that? that's amazing, dude! Blade uh, mul- Storm, <laughs> m- 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 multi attack. Oh, under dude, 100. that's awesome. Yeah. Oh yeah, I, I looked up the uh, 
Unearth Arcana. I hope they put that in. That actually sounds yeah. really fun. Yeah. Because I actually wanted to play like a dex based ranger with two handed with two uh, single handed weapons, but there was nothing that really, you know, fed into that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently, they are the the least happy with the ranger, and which is why they released this uh, revised thing. Oh, um, interesting. Yeah. Um. Uh, Just as a personal complaint uh, to you, Mango, since Buddy doesn't know about this. What do you think of the Animal Companion Ranger? Um, the base one. I I am I am I I don't know enough to really comment. Um, okay. What what, do, what do you, you sound you like do you don't like, like it. it? Yeah. So okay. So originally, uh, all my inspiration for the Druid, which was the, actually my my first real like got into it character, uh, was from so back in the day I used to play a lot of D D two, and one of my favorite classes to play was the Druid. Because you could turn into a fucking bear or a werewolf and just destroy shit. Or you could call, like, five, like, dire wolves to your side. Or, like, ghostly wolves just come over and, like, destroy shit. And I just always liked wolves. I know. Like, I feel like I sh- I'm, like, one of those guys. If I if you would go to, like, Gen Con. I feel like if I didn't suit, dress the way I did, I would have Is a wolf. I would have are a wolf. You, no, I would have a wolf shirt. revealing that you're a furry? No. I'm saying. Charles Powell, what's the name of your fursona? Tell us. <laughs> uh right so one of the things that i always loved was like just just the animal nature of like a druid and i would definitely be the type of person i think when i was younger i did wear wolf shirts with like the moon and shit so i have to find pictures but i'm sure i'm sure there's got to be one or two um so i i did a druid because i could turn into animals but i also looked at the ranger class because i thought it would be cool to have a companion the whole time like oh this is my best friend he he hangs out with me and we kill shit together but one of the things that really bothers me is that your companion has to be CR quarter or lower, and it never increases, Mango. Oh, wait, CR what? never gets higher. It stays CR one quarter forever. It doesn't matter how high your ranger level gets. It just gets a little bit more HP, but it doesn't do any extra damage. It doesn't, like, it doesn't, like, get any increased stats. It just has more health. Whoa, that sucks. It's pretty terrible. That sounds uh, awful. Yeah, that's that's why I was like, this is stupid, and I played a druid because a druid scales the levels that you get, and you just become fucking strong to the point where you're an elemental, and you can be uh, all four elements of the elementals. So they all have really unique and cool abilities, which is why a druid is fucking awesome, and why I play that. But I just wanted to mention that. Um, yeah, I was. That doesn't sound great. Uh, no, but that was the only thought that I had because you showed the the ranger uh, on Earth Arcana, but that was. Not the best way to end it. Yeah. Uh, we can cut that out. We can yeah, cut that no, out that's, that's fine. Well, and then we can end it on something more fun. Um, uh, but, uh, but yeah. Um, so, usually we do uh, How Was Your Week at the end of the cast. But it's only, um, you know, peek behind the curtain. This is a relatively early recording in the week for Buddy and I. Um, so, there's only been, like, four days of stuff. Uh, and we recorded the last one late, too. Oh, you like on Thursday or something? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, okay. so Charles Powell, how has your life been up to this point, um, in terms uh, of video I, games? Uh, since in terms of video games <laughs> or or tabletop games, we've heard about your tabletop games. You heard plenty of my tabletop, tabletop adventures. But but you, usually uh, we talk about our last our, our weekend gaming, and uh, okay. and you know you you can go further back than a week since we didn't talk to you about it last week. Okay, uh, so I. My company went to CES recently. I did not. I was not able to go, but I made some promotional video work for them, and it was a very stressful time for me. So when that finished, I immediately went out and bought a Switch in Breath of the Wild. Nice. So I have been thoroughly enjoying the extreme open world of Zelda, 
I mean, of Hyrule. Uh, oh, God, terrible. Oh, Please shit. Please delete that. Uh, <laughs> the no way that gets deleted. Of the game no of the that game of Zelda in, the final edit. in Hyrule. Okay, well, you're then just going to cut out my correction, and then it's going to make me look terrible. <laughs> um anyways i've I've been thoroughly enjoying uh hyrule and just exploring and it is just a fucking like everything anyone has ever said positive about this game i found to be true just like the little physics minutiae are just really cool like um and being like even with just like dropping i said that right that uh, interesting but like you can you can burn stuff and that's not also interesting i don't have this particular minutiae to talk about but when i see them they happen uh (laughs) But, you know, there are a lot of cool things that you can do. You can uh, shield, surf, uh, shield surf, shoot an arrow while slowing time, which is, like, one of the coolest things you can fucking do in the game. Um, and there's just it's just so open and wide. There's just so many things to do there that I haven't touched anything. But the main thing that annoys me is that there's no map. And I don't know if this is, applies to you guys, but the fact that there is, like, if Mango's played it. I don't know if you've played it. I have not played it. Okay, um, but one of the things uh, in the Zelda series is like, you know, you have a, a generic map of the whole area, right? And you kind of see like where you are on the map. And as you explore it, you kind of get some parts of the map. Like you can maybe see, oh, this is where this thing is. And this is where like this castle is. This is where this farm is or whatever, right? But in Breath of the Wild, unless you get like certain objectives on the map, everything is just black. You don't see anything. And that annoys the hell out of me. So the first thing I did is just hunt those. So, Mango, I have just spent my entire time trying to hunt all the towers so that way I can look at the map cleanly. I, I, I definitely feel that. Um, I'm the same way with, like... Not, I, have, I haven't gotten super far in Breath of the Wild, but, I, but like, in, like, uh, Shadow of Mordor um, and, like, the whatever minor Assassin's Creed games I play, it's like, oh, you always gotta, like, hit those Ubi towers up and yeah, get everything yeah. done. It's just so annoying. Like, why did you make it like this? Yeah. But Actually, I also... to be honest with you, I'm gonna... I, I will just... I just, I just, I really enjoy that shit. I don't know why. I'm the, I am the person they are marketing to when they make these like fucking Ubisoft towers or whatever. Because there is something so satisfying about starting an open world game like that and then going to each of the individual towers and like lighting them up mm. one by one by one. I love that. It feels so good. It's like, it's like, I mean, a, it's like an oddly satisfying GIF or something. You know what I mean? Like, no, I mean, okay, yes, I, I get that, but I mean, like, the part I guess that annoyed me is that like Link is moving through the world. It's not like you can't just, like, pause for a moment and, like, you know, chart out the map, you know, every now and then so that I don't have to go blindly. Like, if you explored this road, you should know that there's, like, a, a mountain here or a river here. Uh, but, yeah, that, that's my that's my main annoyance. But, I mean, it is part of the game, and it does fill thematically. It does fit thematically, so I can't really complain. But um, it is a, a very, very fulfilling game to play. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Aside from that, I play Fire Emblem Heroes on my phone. It's a gotcha game, Ooh. so I'm a gambling addict. Oh my god, how uh, how how gambling have you? I'm not going to state the <laughs> number, but it is, it is, uh. it is. Uh, yeah, it's 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 not insignificant, but it is also not significant. Um, but yeah, how many zeros? Like, how many zeros? How many zeros? <laughs> wow! Oh Jesus, man! Wow!
Well, okay, so the pro, the oh God, please, please cut this. Um, <laughs> uh, the, we are the not cutting that, this, and we are sending it to your mother so that she knows <laughs> how much you spend uh, on fire. But, but I play, I play with a, a friend who just never played a single fire emblem, which makes it worse for him, uh, or better. I'm not sure which. Uh, but he and I, like, because I started playing. This is, this is a terrible thing to say, but I, since I've been playing a lot of D and D, I've been playing a lot less like actual video games. Um, so I've been playing a lot of more role-playing games, which, so I don't have that much, so, like, in order to kill time, I just play Fire Emblem Heroes, and I get great satisfaction in getting certain heroes, Yeah. um, you know, just because I like collecting them, and I'm like, oh, this guy's really strong, because fucking Nintendo knows what they're doing, and they're like, oh, let's make this new unit that is stronger and has an ability that you've never heard of that is now just stronger than everything you've had before, and I'm like, damn it, you motherfuckers. Yeah, so uh, that's that's what I do in my spare time, aside from the Switch and playing uh, tabletop games. Yeah, I know. I totally feel that because uh, I played a little bit of Star Wars heroes and like DC heroes, and I immediately recognized how awful it would be if I actually yes. like got into the game because I was like, oh, I want. I want Aquaman, and I want, like, it's, like, Undersea yeah, it's Trident terrible. Aquaman or something. Like, there's a bunch of different Aqu- – and I'm like, I want all of them. Give me all of them. Or, you know what exactly. I mean? Or, like, I, I want Qui-Gon. Like, why do I have to – you know, like, who do I have to buy to that's, buy Qui-Gon? And then I was like, oh, my God. Who do I have God. to blow oh, to get Qui-Gon? Yeah, that's exactly – because you could do it the, like, the pure way, but it just takes so much time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the game isn't even fucking fun. I mean, it's, it's I don't know about okay, I don't know Star about Fire Emblem Heroes. That I just one mean, wasn't great for the for the yeah. Star Wars game and for uh, and for the DC game. It's not even fun. It, it's one of those games where it plays itself. You know, like you can just hit like a like a fast like forward an button, button and it will like automatically yeah. play for you. And I and that and once it hit got to that point, I was like. Okay, now you, you know, like maybe now you could I'm have just, gotten now me. Now I'm just collecting stuff. Yeah, like maybe you could have gotten me if like there was some gameplay here or whatever, like this was an actual turn-based RPG or something and I had to like think strategically in some variety, but if like if the proper way to play the game is to just, you know, select all of my highest level characters, hit the fast forward button and put my phone down for 30 seconds like <laughs> what you know like no, that's Yeah, no. no. Fire Emblem can be like that, but it doesn't have to be like that. Uh, and there are certainly they they make really tough things every now and then that require a certain like maybe like fifteen minutes to actually get through and like beat. So there's enough that makes it a little interesting. Um, but yeah, it's bad because my friend and I used to like be like, oh, I want this because the two of us are playing together and like a new banner comes out. One of us gets lucky, the other doesn't get lucky, and then it causes the person who was unlucky to put a little money in. And that's how that uh, exacerbated itself. But uh, yeah. no, I I feel for you, I really Sorry. do. It's it's uh it's not so bad. My spending habits outside of that really aren't that bad. So you uh, can afford to. Yeah, you can aff- it's pretty. It's pretty. It was pretty. It's pretty dumb. Well, you know what? I will not. <laughs> I don't feel bad about uh, pre-ordering uh, fucking uh, Sea of Thieves now. So you know, thanks. Oh uh, yeah, you pre-ordered the. So oh, you yeah. have the beta, right? The beta comes out at four a.m. Uh, so twelve, like okay. approximately twelve hours from is this, now. Is seven C? Sea of Thieves is a pirate video game. We, um, we're we're all gonna play it together when it comes out, right? Is it an is MMO? One? Uh, yeah, it's also Xbox One crossplay, um, which I'm excited for because that means I can potentially get my brother to play with us. Um, but uh, basically, every time, so like they have a podcast, and every time I try and listen to it, like 
they'll start talking about a feature and I'll just like, like he is a pirate, like the, the, the Pirates of the Caribbean theme song just starts playing in my head. I just imagine like driving a ship around and I completely stop listening to the podcast. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, great, I am super. I'm super into it. I'm super down yeah. to play uh, to play no, some Sea of Thieves. No, I'm, I'm actually mm-hmm. I'm, I'm I'm interested though because there's um there's no real progression, right? Like it's you you level up with the factions and you can buy different cosmetic equipment, but it's not like you get like better guns or anything. So I, I wonder mm-hmm. how long it's gonna hold attention for. But it looks really fun. Yeah, so. I actually hope it doesn't hold my attention for that long because I just like wow too much. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. Oh, also, just this is, helps me validate myself. Is uh, buddy, you played when you were playing Hearthstone. This makes you feel a little bit better. When you were playing Hearthstone, you were throwing in like money to buy a pack a day. You were like, I specifically ate ramen for lunch. Oh my god! Yeah. So I could. So I, could I buy actually, a pack. I do, I do want to say that since I got back into Hearthstone with the Knights of the Frozen Throne, and um, I, I had some really, I had some really kind of like lucky breaks when it came to Hearthstone, and I'm playing so much WoW that it's easy for me to gain the gil- the gold I need in order to get. Um, mm. Battle.net money or whatever. Uh, I I now no longer feel quite as bad about the money that I dropped in Hearthstone, however many years ago, um, mm. because I've kind of because not paying for Hearthstone uh, very much over the last couple of months has made it so that I kind of stretch my overall Hearthstone playing time over that uh, that 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 right. that amount of money or something uh and so i feel better about it. i'm still playing hearthstone actually uh i fucking mm, i actually stopped yeah i don't know i cobalt and catacomb has been pretty bad for warriors comparatively but it is a lot of fun to play this specific warrior deck that i play the dead man's hand mm. warrior um, oh that one uh, specifically it's... because you know okay so so there's a there's um uh there's a warlock deck right now that's just incredibly powerful right is it the one that removes your hand, your deck completely? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, because there's there's a card that's it's a six mana three six with death rattle that adds a spell a five mana spell to your hand. You cast four of these five mana spells and you get a ten ten for ten with battle cry destroy your opponent's deck right. And this kills right. control decks right. You can't play a control deck against that because you can never go into the long game. But, but how does the warlock hold on for that long? Uh, so so you when when you're playing dead man's hand warrior a lot of the times you're going for a fatigue strategy anyway. Right, but if you're playing Dead Man's Hand Warrior, right, you have Dead Man's Hand. So if they destroy your deck, you just Dead Man's Hand in a new deck. <laughs> Wait, that means you have to hold both Dead Man's Hands in your hand at any given moment. Yeah, uh, and then you can also do stuff like I've done this before, where I use Cold Light Oracle to fill their hand, and then and then I kill Rin um, to to burn the card so that they don't get the uh... they don't get the access to Azari or whatever. Um, I see. In fact, to be honest with you, Dead Man's Hand is just incredibly efficient against. Or I'm sorry, the, the Dead Man's Hand Warrior is incredibly efficient against um, this deck type, uh, because like like for instance, something that's typically tough for me to do is wait is use brawls and executes, uh, because if you don't have a target on the board, like if you if you can't cast the spell, it just sticks in your hand, and that's a problem in Dead Man's Hand because sometimes you can gum up your hand with executes with no target, um, or with brawls where you can't cast brawl right. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, because that value warlock deck always has Blood Reaver Gul'dan and always has Nazoth, right? I can just save my brawl, my first brawl for Blood Reaver Gul'dan, my second brawl for Nazoth in order to to, to clear out uh, to clear out the board without too much trouble. Hmm. But anyway, see. sorry, that's just fucking Hearthstone or whatever. 
Yeah, I just I just stopped playing because like felt the cards were too expensive. He said ironically, but um, <laughs> yeah, something but the, so, so something that I had to get over um, in the course of this is I had to stop clearing my quests daily um, because I could never really make a competitive enough deck for like hunter. You know what I mean? Like I have right. I have a competitive warrior deck, but I don't have a competitive hunter deck uh, because I kind of had to pick and choose what decks I was willing to build and play. Um, and the quests are a big part part of that, right? As long as I don't care about you know what I mean, like. Once I got over that hump of like, oh, there's an uncompleted quest in my thing. It's about to invalidate. You know, I need to play 20 fucking games with like a free to play hunter deck in order to get my five hunter wins or whatever. Once I got over that kind of thing, uh, I was able to have a lot more fun with the game because I was, I'm just yeah. playing my one warrior deck and not really worrying about right, it. Right. So, so like Hearthstone is basically like a one deck game. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that's, that's, that's my main complaint. People, people, people talk about like that the game is not a very good free-to-play game, and I empathize with that, definitely, but really I think it revolves around this one thing. It's pretty straightforward to make one competitive deck um, uh, for, for, like, for your expansion. I have my competitive warrior deck, right, uh, and I don't really worry about too much otherwise. Um, so but then you're really just playing one game, and it's called Warrior. That's true, I just, but the but because see this is the other thing is because I play a control deck is very reactive and so my game changes a lot depending on who I'm playing against right like my strategy against the tempo rogue is like really different compared to my strategy against you know value warlock right that's fair sorry to totally veer off no I mean, yeah, no this worries is all, this is all this is all fair game in the last half hour yeah, when we're Man just talking mango about can shit. just fucking cut everything uh i do want to do a little bit, bit of housekeeping housekeeping with regard to the oscars which came out we're gonna have another oscar bait podcast um uh at some for, point for 2018 probably in about a month um we're gonna go over uh the best picture uh, we're going to go over the best picture contenders like we did last year. Um, this year they are Call Me By Your Name, Darkest Hour, Dunkirk, Get Out, Lady Bird, Phantom Thread, The Post, The Shape of Water, and Three board Billboards Outside Ebbing, uh, Missouri. I'm really excited for that. But so Just so that people who are paying attention now can, can be aware if you want to follow along for that. Uh, those, are, those are the movies that we're going to be looking for. Um, it's also criminal that Blade Runner didn't get a best picture nom. Um, Yes. Uh, uh, <laughs> there was something that I wanted to mention at the end of last week's podcast, but now I don't remember what it was. Uh, for housekeeping purposes. Yeah, I don't remember either. But if you have an idea about what we're talking about, you can email us at podcast at subversplaygames.com or subversplaygames at gmail.com. You can follow us at twitch.tv slash subversplaygames. You can follow us on Twitter. You can... Uh, uh, like us and rate us and give us comments on any platform and we love them all. Um, Charles, do you have anywhere that you want people to follow you at? Uh, no, because I am a hermit. All right. Don't follow Charles. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, uh, buddy, do you have anything else that you wanted to promote? No, I have nothing else I'm looking to promote. In that case, until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners. And until next time, loyal listeners. <laughs>